Ladies and gentlemen. And we're back. All right. This is Drew Sitzwith, um, my uncle Matt Longton. It's great to be here, Drew. Thank you for coming all the way out here just for this. This is awesome. Yeah, you know, I was busy schedule, but it was uh, certainly worth it when I heard the buzz around the um, the program. Something I oh, knew yeah. I wanted to participate in. There's a lot of buzz around the program. <laughs> so uh, we had some last minute cancellations, but uh, you were always on the list anyway. So I'm, I'm glad uh, you're able to fill in. So I've got some bullet points down that we could talk about, but ideally. This is just a hangout, right? The ideal is to, to capture us if we were just sitting on the couch like we were doing a half hour ago, right? We're just kind of shooting the shit and you know doing doing our thing. So what I wanted to start out with was uh, coffee. You were talking about how you're really into coffee, and I love that. And I love when people are really into one specific thing and like, you know. Coffee, love it. Um, yeah, I'd have to say that for the majority of my life as a kid and a young man, didn't drink it. Children, definitely the catalyst to having coffee, make you move a little quicker, sharper. Um, caffeine in general, so long as you're taking care of yourself, you know, um, exercising and eating pretty well, caffeine's generally good for you. Right. So are you a hot coffee guy or are you an iced coffee guy? I am a iced, hot, good, bad, top of the pot, bottom of the pot, Espresso? been on too long, burnt pretty much drink it for one reason and uh that's that's to get high from coffee i would say <laughs> so yeah sure espresso espresso maker we had one in college and it got out of hand so i think i put it down after that um yeah that's but, too crazy you get into like the iced americano and it's like four shots and you're just like <laughs> yep and i definitely don't know the lingo not really part of that the whole culture the um starbucks thing or any of that but again i'll whatever i'll drink it so to fill everybody in, my uncle Matt is from originally from the Chicago suburbs, just like me. And then he left and went to Fort Collins, Colorado, which you've been there for 25 years, something like that. Yep. I realized um, not too long ago, I've been there longer uh, than I lived here. And that's kind of like wow. a turning point in your life, you know, where still call this home. But I guess really from a pragmatic perspective, that's home, you know. But they're both great places and I love them dearly. So I'm very fortunate. Yeah, of course. But my point was that you're in like hipster Mecca. Mm -hmm. So I just assumed that you were like walking to a little coffee shop every day and like getting, you know, something. I would do that every now and again. Um, but again, good coffee, bad coffee, fresh coffee, old coffee, gas station coffee, hipster coffee. You ever microwave a cold cup of coffee to make it hot again? No, I'm such a, um, I guess, a, a coffee slut that um i'll just drain the cup cold at that point because again right. it's really just for the uh for the rush anyway yeah so i i always go black coffee i'm like a snob about it everybody like you know gets annoyed when i talk about this but always go black because it's just wasted calories and sugar and everything right if you're putting sugar and cream i mean that's so disgusting people get like a milkshake or something you know for breakfast every day it's crazy i could do it um and enjoy it but i'm a black coffee guy for the most part as well um the funny thing about coffee to me is it's sort of like uh, if you're drinking good coffee and everybody around you hanging out drinking good coffee and everyone talks about their coffee and how good the coffee is 
and then you drink it too much and around midday everyone gets grumpy because it can't have any right. more coffee right 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 but yeah no I, I i don't drink it every day but i i um i embrace it wholeheartedly what about uh gastro gastrointestinal <laughs> problems that's a favorite topic of mine no i don't <laughs> nope i don't generally have problems with that no oh man it gets me almost every single day it's like part of the routine now hmm yeah, I think if there's a downside, it's um, getting a little edgy, a little jittery, maybe a little short-tempered. Um, but I find what that about headaches. Do you get a headache or anything? Nope. Um, and it doesn't really bother my sleeping unless you go past like the two cup mark. That's the that's the threshold for me. Would you become a decaf guy at like eighty, like after dessert, drink a decaf cup of coffee? I don't think so. It's possible if I'm eating some really great dessert or something, and you just gotta have that coffee flavor. Right. But um, I know that uh, people are sometimes it's like a medical thing or a doctor. Are like, oh, you drinking too much coffee? You should try decaf. And um, I tried decaf for a while and uh, turns out decaf sucks. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's mud water. I mean, <laughs> okay. What about bad breath? Because I had a teacher in fourth grade and he was brutal where it was like leaning in your face. <sighs> You know, brown teeth and everything. Yeah, no, definitely try to avoid that. I remember having a um, a dentist actually in Bartlett, Illinois. Uh, great guy, super great guy. Gnarly coffee breath, and I have a distinct memory of being in the you know the torture chair in the dentist's office and looking straight up and um, seeing the forest of nose hair <laughs> above me and smelling the just yeah sort of rank odor of coffee breath. And he had a habit of humming. So there's just this like audio attack, um, you know, and the, uh, the, the smell and, and the sight. Yeah. Just getting, getting crushed. But again, great guy, really great guy. So no, uh, no diss there. Now, was this, we can, I guess we could believe this, but Dr. Katz, Dr. Katz's. Um, nope. But I did have Dr. Katz's. This was, um, yeah, I hate to, to even throw him under the bus, but that was, this was Dr. Timothy Ridenour. Good. Uh, <laughs> Good friend of my dad's as well. So if either of them get hold of this, just they trying to will. just they trying will. to tell a good story. That's all. To this. And, and we all have nose hair, by the way. So I've, I'll get some every once in a while, and I've kind of got a, like an electric beard trimmer. I'll sort of nick it, but I'm not too bad. No ear hair yet either. Have you? Oh, I've that? I've got the ear hairs. That's definitely uh, that's a rite of passage. Trying to figure out the right um, the right device to to get rid of that. You know. Yeah. What about like. Uh, you take a hot wax on a stick and put it up your nose and just rip out all your nose hairs. See, I think I'd rather just have gross nose hair than Agreed. put myself through Agreed. that. Plus, that's like your body's filtration system, right? Like you're... It is, but it doesn't seem like um, humans are super concerned about removing hair where they, uh, where they find it undesirable. Oh, man. <laughs> Almost. Well played. So... With your Colorado background and um, lust for the West, uh, you were f sort of following around fish for a while, or you just sort of continually go to shows? Or yeah, um, I think I'm around 150 at That's this insane. point. Um, never really got the opportunity to actually follow them or do that. Um, I almost did. Kind of the funny story is after um, graduating college, I kind of decided, all right, this is my time to actually do a tour. Had a vehicle, 
Um, didn't buy the vehicle for that, but had a truck with the topper insulated. All that was kind of figuring out how I was going to pull it off. And the, um, the band broke up. Oh, man. So what year is that? I don't, I don't know. That would have been 2002 or 2004. I'm sure there's a bunch of fish heads that are oh, going to e- email you and let you know that I was wrong, but right around there. Be fish food. Yeah. But that whole thing started, that was my brother. Um, brother was a big influence in a lot of ways, like, like a lot of people, the older brother, the cool course, older brother. Of course. Um, Very cool guy. But he turned me on, and, and something that was cool about James in general is he had an ability, even if he wasn't super into something, he had a real cool ability of recognizing things that other people would dig, maybe, and turning them onto it. And he definitely did that to me, or for me. So 92 wow. would have been when that started. Wow. And I, I used to think of it, and still kind of think of it as uh, you hear kids from the 50s and 60s talking about how they grew up with the Beatles. You know, they went through changes kind of at the same time the band was going through changes. And that's how Fish was for us. They're a little older than my group of friends, but not by a whole lot. Yeah. And all of your friends were also into it, right? I mean, my closest. Um, and I turned most of them onto it too, which is sort of cool. That went came down the line, but we still meet together usually a, a couple times a year and see shows um colorado's a big uh big fan base so we can rely on shows every year pretty much um you do like an anniversary kind of yeah usually, right? they came they played dick sporting goods um park in commerce city which is about an hour from where we live and we didn't miss one of those for the first 10 years. They did three shows a year for 10 years. So we saw 30 consecutive shows. Wow. And now it's changed a little bit, but now it's coming full circle. I've brought my son Liam to a show. I have brought my daughter now to a couple shows. Um, and it's pretty cool. There, you know, there are some folks that feel like the fish gigs are definitely not a place to bring kids. I can see that. And I felt that way, honestly, for a long time. People would ask me because they knew how big of a fan I was if I'd brought my kids to shows. And I'd say, ah, no, no, no. And then we kind of hit a point. Might have been because we first summer we didn't have a sitter. We decided that was <laughs> the <course>. year. <laughs> um, but it's like good parenting anywhere else as long as you provide guidance and shelter protection and everything that it takes to just be a good parent. It, you can make it work. Plus, I assume because the fan base is aging just like you are, right? Uh, there's a bunch of other people that also want to bring their kids, right? So yeah, absolutely. You hang out in the back, or there's like a sort of separate section, sure, or something. Sure, and there are definitely crazy people at fish shows, um, but they're crazy people every day. You walk out your door, right? You go to the subway, you're going to see a crazy person. But historically, I mean, <laughs> they might have a little bit crazier. Maybe you know, maybe, but there's that's a whole podcast in itself, really. Of um, you know what what makes an unsafe environment or what's you know there's there's some overreaction i think to it to a certain degree but it's really those scenes are kind of like a microcosm of society on the whole right there's just how wacky do you have to be at a fish gig to be perceived as weird might be weirder than how how wacky you'd have to be to be perceived as weird walking down the street but there's young professionals there's aging you know, wealthy guys, there's super crazy hippie types, there's there's everything in between. You know, it's that common bond or the tie that binds is the, all of them, most of them are there because they love music. Right, of course. And it, it's almost, it outweighs the bad of like, 
experiencing something like that young and seeing all different types of people in a different way and going, oh, that's maybe not what you're supposed to do. Someone's acting too drunk or something like that. Right? Yeah. It's, it's a good teaching moment, obviously. It is. Um, my, my best friend and I um, brought our daughters together to a show recently and we, oh boy, we discussed it up and down. Um, and that's a, a common theme that we landed on was, yeah, there's all sorts of things going on around you. What, what good decisions are you going to make and how to deal with a crowd, how to deal with, um, you know, somebody who might be just annoying, you know, or course, somebody, yeah. I think that my son Liam had a, uh, had a young wacky lady ask him for a lighter in the <laughs> middle of the show, the first show he ever went to. And, and he was 13 like, at the time. So we all just kind of looked at her like, come on, man. Right. What are you doing? <laughs> but it, exactly. You know, it's things happen in life that can, weird things, ball, a ball game or a sporting event. It's not that much different. Of course. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of wonderful things to see too. And, and, and a lot of excitement and there's a, a community at the heart of it. That's all there to, to kind of cut loose. And that's cool too. You know? Plus I bet when they look back when they were 30, they go, my parents took me to a fish concert when I was 10. I mean, that's awesome. You know, that's a very cool memory. I've been sure. to a few, a couple concerts, not very many, you know, you guys are a music family, so I'm sure they've seen tons of live music, you know? Yeah, we've definitely, and it's been pretty wide, um, widespread as far as genres. When they were real little, we did lots of bluegrass. We had a couple of connections to um, some backstage access to a bunch of really pretty venues in um, in uh, Colorado. So that was big. Um, so that kind of brings me to Red Rocks. That's like this huge oh, yeah. historical like uh, outdoor amphitheater. Is that what you'd call it? Yeah, I would say um, arguably one of the few most beautiful in the country. Um, I think so, I think it's one of the titles they hold is the most visited. Like the most, um, it's the venue where more people from out of state come just to see that venue than any other venue. Um, certainly the, the gorge theater in Washington, the Greek theater in Berkeley, those are like kind of in that same vein. Um, but we've been very fortunate. I mean, we've been seeing shows at Red Rock since like 94 or so in all different shows. That's incredible. My son, Leah, my daughter, Layla have been recently, we all went and saw Billy Strings um we've seen a few things there as a family but it's it's an experience you know it's it was i was just there the other night for uh king gizzard and the lizard wizard i've heard of this uh ensemble i don't i couldn't awesome that's probably my as far as contemporary bands my favorite thing going right now really yeah just genre hopping like crazy lots of metal but real smart progressive tight conceptual metal not just angst-ridden metal not that there's anything wrong with that um, but also very prolific dropping just ridiculous amounts of material so this isn't like some sort of scandinavian like burning down churches <laughs> uh no um although who knows um they're a fairly young band um yeah because liam dropped that on me today i was like oh what do you listen to and he's like oh metal and i was kind of like really oh okay you know yeah we, we play some metal around the house um if you know old school metal newer metal he likes he likes harder heavier music in general i think definitely likes white stripes jack white of course which i um i'm very proud of because i'm a big fan as well oh yeah i think that yeah his thing is we'll be we'll be out shooting baskets or doing something like that and we'll break out the music and i'll put on something like tedeschi trucks band or some a band that i love but and he'll just shoot me a look that i know means come on man can't we put on something a little heavier it's the guys and you know so like all right all right you know so we'll throw on some like white stripes or metallica black and black yeah yeah 
little Sabbath. I think we've done some Black Sabbath, right? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, in the random shuffle the other day came uh, War Pigs or whatever, right? Oh, Ozzy huge. Osbourne, Love and I it. just was like, yes, this just not didn't have it downloaded, just kind of came in yeah. naturally. It was like this is awesome. Yeah, this is a great um, government mule cover of War Pigs. They used to ring in the New Year with, which just cracked me up in some way. Um, Cake, I don't know if you ever listened to Cake. Oh yeah, it's a great band. They do a cover of War Pigs. Really? But very, very caked out. Oh, baked, man. Baked just right for a, a cake cover. Of course. Um, so check that out. You'll yeah. dig that. Oh, I will. Yeah, I love like the mashup or like the sample or any of that kind of stuff. Me and my dad always send each other stuff like, you know, this guy's, you know, whatever. Yeah, your, uh, your dad and I were, it's fun. We're sort of like mutual influences on each other from a really young age. Um your your granddad on that side influenced both of us pretty young. Boston, um, country, got definitely appreciation for country from Papa Ron. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, your dad and I would play. We we're like early Nintendo games, listening to Bob Dylan. You know, when we were like in Bob the sixth, seventh, Jethro Tull. Some of that stuff came from cool older brothers too. The flute thing that like oh blew yeah, my mind. yep. They Have you ever seen the Rolling Stones circus. Oh yeah, that was super wacky. There were a yes. lot of uh, a lot of drugs involved. A lot of people felt like that was a, a failure, like this huge failure. Then all these years later, it's kind of celebrated, you know, by guys like us. It, yeah, my dad like brought it home one day from like Fye or something like that. You know, this is like two thousand whatever. Yeah, that's a weird one for and sure. Popped it in, it was just like okay. But from an early early age, um, your dad and I were interested in uh, things that music wise definitely was not the like the pop scene not that we like i don't really feel like pop what were music your high school years I don't, I don't know that as far as mu what music we we're listening to no was it like 90 to 94 oh, um yeah yes it was 90 to 94 exactly um but even even elementary school we were dabbling in like classic rock and definitely in middle school um like i said jethro tall was a big one um Bob Dylan and Boston. I think those were oh, then you two kind of came in the picture for your dad. Anyway, I'm not I'm not a real big fan. I don't really like you two very much either. So I want to bring this up too. Uh, it, it might get loud. That oh. documentary. Yeah, that's you're talking like holy material to me now. Right. But uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, the, the edge. sledge or right, the edge <laughs> is uh, is on there, and you're like, what is this guy doing here? It makes no yeah. sense. And well. I think, like, I'm not a huge, again. Jimmy not, Page and Jack White. And then the Edge, right? So I think that the big reason that he's a part of that is that was, like, sort of a perfect juxtaposition to the other players, right? They're trying to showcase three guys that love guitar, super talented with guitar, but come at it from a completely different. You could certainly say that Jack and Jimmy were closer. Right. Um, but the Edge. But Jimmy kind of start, not started. Oh, but, yeah. Oh, he he started a lot of things uh, for sure. Like overloading a signal created a distortion pedal. I mean, yeah, people will argue with you, but there's a lot of um, proof that points to him being the first guy to really utilize a distortion pedal to its fullest. Well, I was just going to bring up the point where they were talking about how Jack White didn't want to use any of that stuff, right? Because he just wanted to make the, the guitar, make that yeah, sound. Pick a fight with it. Naturally right? or whatever, right? Yeah. Where the, the edge was like, Oh, I used 20 pedals at once. Exactly. So that was kind of the whole thing with him. 
Um, and he even it, what's cool about it, and it seems it, like a lot of cream and sugar in the coffee. You know what I mean? I agree, but I I feel like for him, um, he he utilized it eventually as a style. Like he he figured it out. If you can figure it out, and you and you have something to offer, which he obviously does, then respect for sure. Right. It's like uh, you can't really trash DJs anymore. It's like you know you, they've they've turned the computer keys into, yeah, into an it. instrument. Now. Yeah. No, I'd agree with that. I think like anything, if the quality is there then yeah who who cares like opinion is out the door it doesn't really matter it's whether or not you can identify quality um but i think the other thing remember when they put their album on everybody's phone that was not cool i was and i experienced that firsthand and literally was like like genuinely outrageous genuinely angry because it also came at a time where um we weren't wielding our devices with as much confidence and understanding as we do now right so it's sort of like all right, what the hell is this? How quickly can I get it off of here? Did somebody delete it? Did somebody charge me for this? I don't want to hear it. Um, wait a minute. How, how did this even get here? You yeah. know, um, with going back to the edge for a minute, I do have to say one of the reasons why I'm I'm good with him in that film too is that he he owns it. He explains he's like, oh, I'm really only playing this, and you'll play two chords. But he goes, when it, when I cross that with this and this with that and add all of these things to it, then it can make this amazing sound and it sounds like a great riff and i i believe that that's valid you know like he's found another yeah. way another approach I get it. and that documentary does rule and i, I don't hate mm. him and there's plenty of youtube songs that i would listen to i don't i don't hate youtube but yeah i am um, just it, seem like the odd guy out it started to be you two just got to be um almost like roundaboutly pretentious when it was like the absolute last thing that they were trying to do i feel like this is a handful of comments from bono here and there about like how much responsibility comes with being the greatest band in the world. I think I heard him say that. And it was sort of over for me. Damn. There's a South Park episode <laughs> where they, they Randy takes the, the biggest shit in the entire planet. It turns out it's just Bono. There you go. And then he does this whole rant about whatever. I was at a, um, a Halloween concert where um, the band had placed um, all different headstones in a graveyard all over the stage, right? It was this conceptual thing. And, and random headstones had spinal tap? had had all different um, names and quotes and dates and all sorts of things on them um, of obviously something that's passed on right and there was one kind of front and center that said Bono's humility and I was just like yep that's good they get it <laughs> that's hilarious yeah they're obviously a they're a huge band and they had a lot of great things to say and there's some quality material but different flavors don't jive with different people and their flavors just not my favorite I guess. Yeah, the whole Joshua Tree thing seems kind of pretentious, like you said. But that was the one, and actually that that album was the one that your dad would crank. Like, yeah. And we, um, I mean, you can't argue with those songs. They're brilliant songs. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I and he had bought when we were that age, or it was a Christmas present, first really good hi-fi, awesome stereo. And with or without you, that opening bass line was like what oh, yeah. he would play to show it off. You can tell, you can ask him <laughs> about that turn that way up and right. we would groove out on that so they had that they're they're a chapter in the book for me for sure i believe uh my parents saw them with um the michigan cousins like oh, at yeah. the michigan stadium or something the thing in the round right right they uh it was like a spaceship and they had an astronaut that was like up in orbit like zoom in on the big screen it was like whoa i'm up here world oh <laughs> one yep that's a little over the top <laughs> yeah but again it's like yeah that'd be a fun for sure. Um, but so going with more guitars, um, obviously you are an 
would you consider yourself a master guitar player? No, or... <laughs> definitely not. You um, know, you're, you're an excellent guitar player. I appreciate that very much. I um, Like we were talking about earlier, my brother turned me on to it. There was a day he was going to buy bass strings. I was 17, and he said, you should come with me. And I said, I, why? <clears throat> and he said, uh, I'll buy you a taco. There was a taco joint next to Roselle Music. It was a music store. And um, somehow, many times. have you? He, he coerced me into buying a guitar that day, and I still have it. It actually hangs in my daughter's room. Acoustic guitar? Yes, Alvarez. Um, it was my guitar that hung in our cabin for a long time. Um, it's a war, war horse. You know, it's been dropped and bashed and kicked around. Um, kind of like you, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Tell the story. Yes, there you go. Um, but no, I, I don't know that I would ever um, be anywhere near like that sort of master category. Um but I'm comfortable. If there was a guitar right now, though, you could jam on it and everybody would be very impressed. Some people would be impressed. Um, <laughs> good guitar players, maybe not as much. Um, In the comments, all the guitar players. Uh, I am uh, I am comfortable enough to pick it up and play, right. you know, um, and really anymore. My inspiration for practicing at home and whatnot, I don't have a current band or anything. So it's like I want to at any time there is an opportunity to play with people or if there's just a guitar sitting there, I want to comfortably be able to pick something up and, and play something with competence and success. Yeah. Everybody, I think everybody has this idea of like, I want to be the guy you, you're at the party, you grab the thing. Oh, oh bing, you just kind of just start jamming. Everyone's like, yeah. yeah, this is dope. You know? Yeah. And, or and like you sit down at the piano and start, you know? Sure. And I think one, actually it's, it's sort of, that's true for sure. And then the, um, the flip side of that is somewhere along my, uh, I don't know, adventure with a guitar or career, I, I very much didn't want to be the guy who does that and plays the same like 10 songs. Today is going to be the day. Yeah, something, whatever, you know, the four four or five cowboy chords and the um, the uh, the classic 10, 10 riffs. And that's actually kind of how I found bluegrass um, because it's tough. Uh, it's really tough, super challenging and super rewarding, Technical. you know? Yes, tight. I think it's hillbillies, right? But it's no, <laughs> no, it goes along with that hipster good cup of coffee thing these days. It's people found it, you know? Yeah, you're uh, you're definitely the first person I heard talk about like a mandolin or anything like that. Mm. You know, all those stringed in instruments you've got hanging up around your office. Yeah, it's cool. Um, I mean, there's such a rich history that and the other it's kind of uh, part of the reason I was drawn to it too is you hear the term Americana thrown around a lot. People like to label music Americana because again, hipster coffee, um, beards. But really, what Americana means is music that was born out of the traditions that were born in America. So Americana oftentimes is talking about, you know, what early Americans were farming. What were they drinking? What were they fighting over? What were the politics? You know, what were the religions? All these sorts of things. And so there's just amazing amount of richness to the, the to the material. There's there's stuff to be learned even from it. Um, and then you get a little too heady with all that. And you're like, oh, it's also just about jamming and picking circle it's very social sure. you know yeah but that's what's cool I've, I've definitely been out in colorado with you guys at one of these parties where you know five guys start playing and you know yeah there's a fiddle and all the different stuff everyone's jamming it's, it's very cool it's very uh energizing to everybody around you definitely and that's that's another reason to stay up on your chops even if you're not in a band it's sort of like well if a circle's going to break out i want to be able to pick with the circle and it's sort of like well first i want to be able to play a competent rhythm because generally speaking you know, you, you that's th not just playing a song. That's not being able to play smoke on the water. That's like, right. You're vibing and feeling what yeah. everybody else is doing. 
knowing what the key is, knowing what the tempo is, knowing where the um, the A part is, the B part, where's the break, when is it my turn to solo, if it's going to be my turn to solo, how loud should I play, when should I walk up to the omnidirectional mic, or when should I hang back, should I even take a solo, am I good enough right now? Um, right. Is the alpha kind of eyeing me up right now, it's, thinking <laughs> I can't keep up with everybody? Generally speaking, everybody wants um, everybody to take their turn because that's really what it's all about. What's a good Colorado name? like? Uh, a good Colorado bluegrass name? No, like uh, like Brooks or something. I'm trying to think of like a, like a hipster coffee kind of name. You know? Oh, I got you. Oh, it's not like Chad oh, yeah. or like. No, certainly not Chad. Right. More th- more than likely not Todd. Um, <laughs> right. Let's see, what's a good current? Could could be Chase. Yeah, no, Chase is a little Chase, worn out at this point. Brooks, yeah, I was trying. To, Brooks is solid. Um, I just yeah. think of uh, Morgan Freeman, though. It's not the same. I think. I think what's gonna. Yeah, there you go. I think what's gonna happen is all of a sudden I'll think of a good one while we're talking about something entirely different. I'm just gonna spit it out to just just freak everybody out. Well, now something. What is it? Well, now for something completely different. Yes, now for something completely different. Okay. Uh, so actually, we're kind of closing out uh, the half hour. We'll we'll pause awesome. and then uh, come back in a sec. Sounds good. Tell you what. Okay, that's a great jumping off point. <laughs> King of the Hill. Love it. My parents, my dad was into the Simpsons. And so like growing up, it was all Simpsons. And then we'd go out, out west, and then it'd be <laughs> this crazy show about this guy from Texas. And it was like, what is this? <laughs> I am um, I adore both shows um, for sure. Simpsons, absolutely brilliant. No other word to use. Of course. Genius, maybe. Uh certainly. Um loved King of the Hill. And I think that uh King of the Hill adheres to one of the greatest um lessons i guess in in art you know in writing they said write write about what you know about you know and mike judge just took you know what he knows of course and it was just already naturally hilarious and then just sort of you know made it even funnier by being able to write the dialogue with those guys yeah it, mike judge is awesome absolutely um i think i was a sophomore in high school when beavis and butthead came out and um I, it was just so stupid and so awesome at the same time that was sort of like, what is this? How could they possibly have approved this show? Because it, it really makes no sense. Like, <laughs> I've only listened to it a couple times, at, or I've only watched it a couple times. And uh, it, uh, uh, oh, yeah. Great. Uh, what was it? Cornholio, all that kind just of stuff. Just so much of it was hilarious. And it was, it's like theater of the absurd, right? Like it, you, you do something that's so completely stupid, but yet. Kind of like the show. A lot of people connect, Thank you, you know, lots of uh, lots of stereotypes brought to life. You know, the, the fun, the metallic shirt, the ACDC shirt, the metalhead. I also went to high school with many, many, many Beavis and Buttheads. You know what I mean? And and God bless them. Like, there's way worse routes to go than than goofball metalhead, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we got a huge kick out of that show and kind of looked into... Who is this guy? Who's Mike Judge? Of course, then Office Space. You oh, know, yeah. just everything he touched. I think that it's just hugely relatable to specific demographics. Yeah, and it's it's very every man kind of simple, like you said. Yeah, very niche demographic, but he he's hitting it like just on the head perfectly. Yep. You know, he's um, just slightly overweight. He's not a big fat guy. You know, he's like just a little <laughs> overweight. You know, it's like the, yeah. Um, I can't remember who the um who the cast was, but somebody riffed on like if they were going to do um king of the hill live action oh, like yeah. and and who the actors would be i think mcconaughey maybe was boomhauer um but it but it was awesome Dang, all right, all right, all right. i'll tell you what um but 
I think Boomhauer has a huge Twitter presence. I don't know if you know. Is that, that right? You, I see Boomhauer tweeting all the time. That's funny. I and I I'm super outcast in that I've I've still to this day never made a Facebook page or a post. I've never tweeted. That's incredible. I've never been on it. <laughs> I've never been on Instagram. And it's funny because I, I don't feel like I didn't avoid those things thinking like, well, I'm above this and that's stupid or a time sucker, all the things you kind of hear. It just never uh addictive. I guess, you know, but it just never happened and I never sought it out. And there have been times where it's even the opposite where I felt stupid, sort of like everybody knew about something or everybody got invited to something that I would definitely have been invited to had I been paying attention uh, to social media. And so there have definitely been times where I was like, what am I, why am I not doing this? And then the yeah. whole thing kind of got to a point where I'm like, well, I made it this far, <laughs> maybe, you know? Yeah, I envy people like you because it's like <laughs> you don't even know what you're missing, you know? I guess, yeah. Um, but it's it's it is the time suck. You'll catch yourself just like twenty minutes on the toilet, and you're just like, "What just happened?" Like, <laughs> right? It's gotten so good where because uh, TikTok mastered this like scrolling capability, where just every video it was next. Where before, like on Instagram, it'd be like uh, time uh, the people that you were following what they posted on a timeline, right? And then TikTok realized, well, once all that stuff runs out, they exit the app, and then they don't click back on for a couple more hours, right? So instead, we'll just feed you stuff that you might not be following, but we think you're interested in because of the yeah. audience. So they just kept giving you good stuff, and then you didn't realize it. And then you're just like, everything, it will be the coolest things you've ever seen in your entire, it'll be a, a you know spaceship exploding, and then it'll right. be like the inside of a lizard's eyeball, and you're just like, what the heck? <laughs> what, what is this? Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's that, um, it's the same constant search for dopamine release, right? And, yes. And people have just like, whether it's video games or porn for that matter, you know, or whatever all these like e easy sort of like here it's, here's it's the vape it's it's the instantaneous yeah just here's something that brain. um that you're hugely interested in um right in in your face however much you want and it's okay you can have you can have one more minute you can have five more minutes you can have another 30 minutes it's just right here on this computer that you carry around in your pocket every day um you can't argue with it i mean that's that as far as um, business and technology goes, it's like the plenty of people had great ideas and made huge amounts of money. And that's kind of what drives things, you know, money does drive things. Also, it's uh, it's a way to show how cool you are. You know, it's you're signaling to everybody like this is my cool life. This all is awesome. Right. You obviously don't. I mean, this is so played out. Right. Like, you know, yeah, uh, you don't post the bad stuff or, or if right. you do, it's like you crying just to get attention from people or something like that. Yeah. Or, or like making sure folks know what you're hip to like, Oh, I'm hip to that. I already knew that. You don't have to turn me on to that. I already knew about this, but did you know about this? And right. I've know. literally like found a cool page, or like a cool person or something like that. And been like, Oh, this is awesome. Click on them to follow them. And I'll see like one or two people that I'm following or following. I'm like, I literally go, Oh, they, they're cooler than me. They know uh, they yeah. already knew about it. Like that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and then you're like, what? Who can't, what? What am I doing? Right. I think it's funny because that's the it's the new, or the today contemporary version of like um, when when we were kids and wanting to know about a really cool band first, um, but that would entail like somehow getting a ride to the record store and looking through the records and finding the one and or or the cool, what who we thought was cool at the time anyway. Um, older guy working the counter saying, Oh man, you should check out blah, blah, blah. And you buy that album and get home and listen to it. And then want to be the first one to, you know, to turn someone Wasn't on like to a blockbuster, like um, like Rick's picks or something like that. And they'd like, like, yeah, Oh, this guy's good. Bob's got a good selection. You know, Terry. Yeah. Terrible. Oh, totally. And, um, 
certain not as much until college but we loved independent music stores and when that was still a thing um i mean i'm sure they're around here and there but the music store where you could buy music but you could also buy tapestries and lighters and incense and tie-dyes and um you know a dark side of Bohemian, the moon lunchbox uh, you know yeah. those are my favorite stores ever um and we had a great one on my campus or right outside of campus that made it a long time but it's not there anymore what is patchouli <laughs> patchouli is the universal smell of the uh the grateful dead parking lot it, patchouli, <laughs> i've heard of this word i just i've never smelled it i couldn't pick so, it out of a, a lineup oh you that's funny uh once you smell it you you know it forever and it's um it's an <laughs> oil and you find it in like candles and incense and stuff but it, it's an oil and if it's not mixed with bio it's i think it's a, a super nice smell it's cool it's a very powerful as far as like this evokes um memories and thoughts and feelings of music and parties and parking lots and tailgating and all that right. sort of thing but it basically got a bad rap because dirty hippies like to wear it um clean hippies like to wear it too but once it's mixed in with that i've been on the road for six months odor um it gets a little mixed up i think and that's also fine right like You've been at the show where you're sweating all day and that's just how it happens right you're it just you're you can't take a shower everybody can't even take a shower before the nighttime show right you're just, right you're just rocking with it it's yes. fine you're vibing you're natural you know yeah aren't, aren't you glad you use dial kind of thing yeah um i uh, i don't have it's funny i'm kind of like a i guess a um a conservative hippie or something now actually i don't even want to use the word conservative but um yeah, I mean, mount, mountain hip, chic hippie. I don't know. It's sort of like the ideal versus the um, uh, um, garb. I guess when I was in high school, I thought the coolest people ever were like these crazy people that I saw at shows and stuff. Like, oh, they're living this free life, and right. it's not like I want to drop out of school and and go be a a loser in a parking lot. But I thought that there was something very valid there, and something um, very romantic too about just doing absolutely. it. Absolutely, doing it. Yes, yeah, my, my heroes. It's good use of the word for sure because it really is that sort of um, I'm going to go do what I want to do kind of thing. And there's there are huge amounts. Um, there there is a huge amount to be learned in that lifestyle. But it also you reach it. It like anything, it reaches a point where it's sort of like is this is this doing anything for me anymore? Am I am I evolving because I'm following this band around? Am I growing or whatever? If I just sort of sidestepped. Um, everything else i the coolest thing way i ever heard it put as far as specifically going like on the road with a band um or like following a band is that it's sort of like the last great american adventure it's the last way that you can truly just like go see the country um you know you just hop on the bus kind of thing or get on the bus it gives you a reason to see the armpit of america yeah in different spots and go all over yeah. beautiful parts horrible parts the the good side the bad side where's the food good you know it's like kirouac and on the road saying like the farther he went you know he's from the east to the west kind of thing like the apple pie ice cream and apple pie got better as you got into the midwest <laughs> and you know and um whatever just seeing all of the the things you read about and you hear about but living it and making it through a city when you didn't have any money and then maybe making it to a city where you had buddies that um you know had a, had a great place to crash at and all of a sudden you're living like a king for 24 hours right, exactly. and, you know meeting up with people and people that had relationships that happened on the road and then say the ladies right that's off. gotta be part of it um, yeah too many dudes at fish shows for the most part but um 
there are ladies, there's a ladies <laughs> contingent as well. Um, for sure. There, like I said, I think there is a whole lot to be gained. I would, wouldn't change a thing about all the experiences that I got to have doing all, doing that kind of thing. Um, but it, it has limits too, like anything. There's a similar thing that popped up when I was in high school of like the EDM shows, right? I'm sure. Oh yeah, that. of course. Yep. You know, uh, and it's obviously a similar thing of like psychedelic, you're taking drugs, you're, you're seeing all the light shows. It's, it's part of it. And then there's also the aspect of, you know, the girls are basically wearing like no clothes. And so you can take cool Instagram pictures where your butts out and you're at the show <laughs> and it costs $500 to go to this weekend show. And, you know, it's, like, yeah, it's, the, a, it's a flex, you know, and the plus is probably that the, the, the butts that are shown are probably slightly more attractive at the EDM shows than, than the hippie shows. Probably. Um, but hey, a, a, EDM's a, a little bit more uh, easier to. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, and I was young and right in the middle of the music scene when the whole rave movement happened. See, that's cool um, too. And it wasn't like my specific groove because I was more into um, going to see jam bands and kind of like older, um, notorious rock bands. But um, definitely made my way to some raves, some local ones, um, some bigger ones, some smaller ones, and had a couple of good friends. Um, one super talented piano player, DJ friend that was like, that was like the, the second coming for him. It was like, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. This is why I've even learned to be playing music. It, bam, you know. Right. Right. So definitely saw some amazing things early 90s, you know, mid 90s with, with the rave scene. But I feel like there wasn't quite enough depth in that scene to allow it to mature into and grow into other things that was sort of like a big flash in the pan very strong drugs that were really appealing universally um and then big powerful beats to just kind of be like man we're going to take this thing to the moon right but not so it much to it explore like warehouse because it was like underground still, which makes it cool, but yeah. also makes it not marketable or mainstream enough or something. Yeah. I feel like some of the bands and the genres that have been able to live big, long evolutionary lives are because they dabbled in different genres and certainly pulled on different emotions, you know, cause that's where at the end of the day, that's what art is, right? The great artist that can, um, you know, connect with the listener or the viewer or whatever. Which is what we're doing right now. Absolutely. Great art. It's, it's we're making been, incredible art. This right has now. been nothing but great art from the very, very beginning. Um, but if that depth is there and you believe in that artist, then you're going to keep going and more people are going to keep going and it's going to be a big, healthy existence, right? I kind of feel like the rave thing was, it was too big for itself too fast. It just was like, kapow, here, here it is. Strong drugs, loud, pulsing music big wacky warehouses scantily clad attendants you know or attendees or Jenko jeans and like, then <laughs> you know, big yeah overall chains and stuff and the, all the uh, oh my god when it got to like the pacifiers <laughs> and the candy and all that yeah. kind of thing it was it became sort of like a character of itself quickly and so right. and that that's it was like very dangerous drugs right like all yeah. that like e stuff was like just yep. like packed with like meth and heroin and stuff too. Like it wasn't even really just uh, yeah. Like now it's Molly. I don't really know that stuff. I'm not into that. I um I don't know the differentiations really either. I did see some real tangible examples of watching that scene crumble though. Um, good good example. There's a magical venue just outside of Fort Collins called the Mishawaka. It's a little over a hundred years old. Um, little tiny amphitheater on a river. And they've been having shows there for, like I said, a little over 100 years, every genre you could think of. Um, you used to be able to drive your car 
uh, and park just wherever your car was not going to roll off the side of the cliff. It was just up to you to decide, right? And there are campgrounds within a mile or two, um, and it was just a free-for-all. Very cool, very fun, wide open, you buy a ticket and show up kind of thing. And we'd watch that tighten up over the years a little bit and get a little bit more and more um, regulated based on just life, just like that's how things go, right? Um, but when the rave scene hit, um, that it became an optimum place for like a small time producer or whatever to say, I'm, I'm going to throw a rave here. We're going to do this thing all night. And, um, a couple of cars literally rolled off of the side of the cliff into oh, the river. Man. The first deaths of like young people happened because of it. And, and that was this massive catalyst to like, okay, wait a minute, we need a shuttle system. You need to buy your ticket online. You got to be a certain age to be at certain shows. Yeah, It was like, so that that's always stuck in my mind about that scene. And that's not fair to just say, well, that's why my favorite cool little music venue changed so much. But it was a big part of it. And at a, I agree. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, an impressionable time for me. It was easy to kind of be like, oh, yeah, that's why I don't like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I never got into it. And this is so stupid. But because uh, there's no, it's, you're not hearing the same person's voice, right? Like, I know a Pink Floyd song or I know a, a Beatles song. Even that's kind of different, you know, with multiple singers. But uh, it's like. I can't, I guess I'm sure once you start listening to more of it, you go, oh, this sure. is this guy's style or this sounds definitely like an Avicii song or whatever. But yeah, it was just hard for me to find an artist because I would find an artist or find an album and go, oh, I'm going to, you know, burn the CD and I'm going to listen to all this stuff and I'm going to learn all this guy's stuff. If I find an artist I like where this, it's like you just pick random songs you like and uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, I, I, it's probably generic to say, but it, it, to me, it relied heavily on the, you know, the buildup and the break and all that sort of thing, <laughs> which is, it's funny too. I, I mean, drop. a lot of the, um, a lot of the music that I like does similar things. Um, but in damn in, son, where'd you find this in all different ways, um, versus the big, you know, just drum build up to the big release. But I have to say, um, I was fortunate enough to see a handful of talented DJs based on the guidance of, um, a handful of people that were into that scene at the time. And I can recall rolling up on, um, a show that a friend of ours was doing. My brother and I went and saw the, a DJ who'd been playing like this all night set. And he saw us come in the venue and was like, you know, had the, the skills and the dexterity to, he saw us, he knew my brother's big Steely Dan fan. And like in the moment, real time, like mixed in this killer little Steely sample that went right along. Oh, it was very much something like, you know, something like that and gave us like the quick nod. And I was, man, that is cool yeah like to be in be living in the moment he does like a little spin around he's like at the, he's got the headphones just kind of you know to be able to to make that work um and not be like annoying and kitschy more just like is it, it was like saying hi right it was like saying hello i've seen you arrive you know right. oh man that's cool i just check, check, check them out at the yeah. bar tip your bartender <laughs> yeah not quite that bad <laughs> you know not not the wedding dj you know anything about uh Grandmaster Flash or like the beginning of hip hop where that's what they were doing with the turntables. Oh yeah. They would like take crayons and draw on the, uh, on the record to show where to pull to and let go. Oh, I love that. Pull back. It's really, really cool. And so, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, they just kind of threw it all together and, and made Ab it work. And then they do like battles outside. School. Oh yeah. It's all these like high school kids basically. Absolutely. And I am, I'm not even going to tread in those waters because I am not at all, um, good enough. To, to discuss hip hop. Hip -hop. Um, but it was, it certainly, you know, was big enough to permeate 
what I was listening to just by way of pop culture. You know, I mean, well, I mean, Beastie Boys, I assume you're a fan of. Absolutely. And then I was going to, uh, I guess that's just the classic uh, middle class white kid thing to say, like, hell yeah, I know hip hop, man. I'm freaking every Beastie's <laughs> album. Um, I would say Beastie's, even like G Love, um, maybe like De La Soul. A uh, handful of bands that kind of kind of made it into what we're listening to. Hip hop adjacent, um, smooth listening kind of. Yeah, I get it. I mean the uh, the Beastie thing was huge, and I, I still adore um, you know the the two of them to this day. Their book, there's a little plug. The Beastie book is one of the greatest reads I've Shout ever out. come across. Just awesome. Um, I think a big big part of that whole scene for me that connected with me too though was the humor. It's just awesome. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. And talk about a band that grew up, you know, those guys from being just punks and literally going out of their way to be disrespectful to everyone, um, women for sure. Yeah. Um, and then to come around come around <laughs> later and they literally like they apologized for that stuff. Really? Know? Oh yeah. Um there I I'm not a good enough, a big enough fan to be able to uh to drop the actual lyrics right now, but yes, absolutely. And, um, just Feel the beat. So drop. There you go. That'd be a good one. Just, it would be so much fun and so funny, um, to listen to, but yeah, uh, hip hop's a big chapter in the book, obviously, you know? Oh yeah, I'm sure. Weren't they in like a punk band or something like that before they started? Oh yeah, absolutely. And they were terrible. Um, but, <laughs> but pretty awesome at the same time. And the, you know, the true essence of punk was not, at all about how you played your instrument if you even knew how to play a damn instrument right. is it was and is an attitude um and the probably the brilliance in that movement is being able to give birth to that attitude and then own that attitude and go out and wear it in a sincere fashion which it certainly wasn't or isn't my groove but it's i feel like that's why things uh the have a birth and a death and evolve and whatnot is that's if it gets played out it doesn't mean it wasn't necessarily a good idea but now it's time to make it make it new again right and just being angry is not quite enough after a while right right that's the thing it's almost like oh so you like that the music shitty like i don't understand right. um <laughs> and i get it you know ramones are cool and there's i'm sure there's plenty of songs you could play me that are punk songs that are awesome and rip and you know oh yeah and it's it's not the easiest genre to listen to um for me personally, certainly anymore, but that's also part of the arc of life, I think, too. Um, Do you know that the Kinks are like the original punk band, right? Or I, I mean, you you could say that for fun. I don't know that it's necessarily <laughs> true or untrue, um, okay. but it's it's certainly good conversation. Right. Um, I think like most of that sort of thing, it just that sparks a good conversation or debate is valid. I love the Kinks. I think the Kinks are awesome. That Christmas song is so good. I, I love that. Uh, <laughs> um, I hear what it is, but. Uh, yeah, it's funny because it's like they're like from the 60s and they're like wearing suits and stuff. You can tell it's like in the guy's voice or whatever, how they're oh, just yeah. slightly tweaking the guitar. It's like you can tell it's changing from, you know, just like the Beatles changing from uh, maybe you can drive my car to Sgt. Peppers or something. Yeah. You can just tell. It's yep. Or like even House of the Rising Sun. Like that song to me, it was it's like so weird because you see that video of them playing it. And they're like in the suits. and They're doing the whole like choreographed thing, but it's yep. so like emotional and like deep yeah agreed um and i i think the uh the fun thing about the punk movement too is that it was very much the um the diy right like all of a sudden you they were like man we don't we don't want to get a record deal and that's all you ever heard was like right. you, you got to get a record deal to make it in record business right and it was like we're gonna press records in our basement 
and we're going to hand write the labels and we're going to hand them off to our girlfriends. We're going to hand them off to their girlfriends and they're going to make it in the hands of their girlfriends, boyfriends. And, right. and um, then we're going to play a loud show down the street tomorrow at like Brian's house. You right. know what I mean? And then maybe there'll be 10 people there. And so much so that some bands like they even like ultimately would shoot themselves in the foot and just purposely try not to get signed, you know? And then right. you got a band like green day, out. you know, that went out was super punk. And they were like, well, they saw a way to, to, to make it work too. Yeah. And it's not just about, well, I sold out and I make a ton of money. You can also argue that if you, you know, bend or whatever, a little bit on these ultra rigid ideals in order to get your message out to more people, larger platform, then maybe you're more successful for that reason. Have you seen like the black keys talking about selling out? Because their music was like in all these commercials and stuff and they're basically like selling out we were trying to do this to make money because we love playing music we want to play bigger shows why wouldn't we do that if we can quit our jobs yeah i actually even read a thing um years ago with dan auerbach about um lamenting over not selling um a song in at the time like before they had quite quite as many big sellable i guess it was like you could a call it commercial or something then. He turned something down in, in the blurb and the article that I read was, I can't believe I did that because if that song could have put my firstborn through college, what a fool I am. And you never know when these opportunities, opportunities will arise. And I think for me, I fall somewhere in between as a fan um, and like sort of being wanting to be possessive of the, of the bands that I love. I don't want them to sell it because I want all of that material to remain as special to me as it's always been. Right, it feels tainted if everybody else knows about it. It can, or if it's being wielded for like you know reasons you don't want. Um, and like they obviously, bands all change and everything, but they clearly went more commercial or yeah. whatever. I still love them, you know. Sure. And the last past couple albums, awesome. But shit, I mean, just last night we we're watching television. I see Danny DeVito talking to a <laughs> Subway sandwich, and I was just like, God damn, you know that made me mad. Um, it's not a good commercial either. No, that doesn't help, does it? Um, you know, there's just a huge thing with Neil Young. Neil Young is oh, yeah. um, notorious for not wanting, you know, to sell out. And there's, I mean, the song, this this note's for you. I want to say it was like mid 80s. You know, I ain't singing for Pepsi, ain't singing for Coke. Can't remember, you know, but it was that, that sort of mentality. He sold his catalog, which doesn't bother me either. Right, right. So it got used. Um, he's very hypocritical and he didn't opinion. like it yet. Yeah. Well, I, um, it didn't do anything for me. I love Beck dearly. I'm not a huge football fan. Seeing that song used in that way. wasn't like to me, it didn't work, but I have dear near and dear friends that love football and love Beck and they were like moved by it. So I get it. It just depends on who you are. And, you know what, how much you care about that sort of thing. Right. Um, the bands that are my absolute favorites haven't. Right. So there's some, I'm always kind of like, wow, that's amazing. Um, you know, it's not like I would disown them if, if they did. Um, I'm a giant Frank Zappa fan and he most certainly would never have had anything to do with that. Um, fish has made it this far without touching anything like that. They've been played, you know, like tweet prize has been dropped in NFL stuff, but it's not like they've been, they haven't sold the usage of anything as far as I know. Also, I mean, Maybe I'm just being ignorant, but the only fish song I really even know it would be Farmhouse. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. That's the one that most fans um sort of utterly loathe. Of course. Probably because you've just heard it so many times or whatever. Eh. It's not a good 
representation of their catalog, I assume. I don't know. I mean, I, I love it just because I love most things that they've done, and it, it represents a specific time for me and for them. All music, to you me. can burn out music. I mean, yeah, it's hard not um, to. I, I mean, it kind of goes back to the hipster thing, like that the, the diehard fans laying claim or gatekeeping, whatever term you want to use, to what they think is good enough to be a representative of the band and probably the main reason everyone loves that band is because of the, the improv and the, the musical geekery and communication between all of them and these blissful moments and all, all these things that don't really have anything to do with farmhouse. Right. But when that song was written, when that whole album was written, that the band was very intent on writing what they were referring to as little gems of songs. They wanted to also be able to write a pop song. They wanted to be able to craft a song like the Beatles did or the Stones did or the Carpenters did for that matter. It was just like, hey, we can do this too. And the, the reality is, is they can and they do. But the, um, you know, the diehard dready bro next to you that stinks like patchouli oil right. wants to hear the 47 minute sand, right? you know, which I'll, I'm there for both, you know, I'm even there for that dude. <laughs> <laughs> right you're just in love with the whole thing you just love all of it yeah i mean at the you heart of pull it out a like 10 minute long jam from, from youtube clip from 2005 that's your favorite you know you can sure. show me that or you sure. can be like yeah farmhouse is cool I'll, I'll turn it up you know yeah and i think that the biggest thing for me is i love art i love good art i love art that connects with people on almost a maniacal level um because that's the true that's the greatest success you can hope for with art and there's a handful of visual artists and and authors and bands and whoever that have done that for me and it's like i'm not willing to let that feeling go unless i have to like band breaks up they somebody dies it's over whatever if it's right. still around i subscribe i'm in so i'm a huge kanye west fan chicago dude love kanye west hip-hop was huge in high school for me right Kanye West is, is mentally insane, right? He's clearly just like a walking <laughs> you, insane patient, you know. You need to uh you need to educate me a little bit in here in, in the future. I'm I'm not well versed. Oh man, but my every mind single is song wide open. Every single song is incredible. So you, you guide me on where to start. I will, I will do my homework. Please. And it will be fodder for at least one more podcast. Oh, I would love that. I remember um you guys came out when I was in high school one time and I told you that I listened to Chance the Rapper, and you're like I'm disappointed in you, Andrew. You said something <laughs> like that. You're like, I hope I didn't. That's a drag. I was probably being over smart. Maybe out. Chance the Rapper wasn't very good, or you know, whatever. I'm not a huge fan of him anymore. Is gotcha, whatever. But I remember being like, oh man, that my uncle Matt who loves music <laughs> doesn't like the thing I liked. I like, you oh. know, that's and very much that's how it should be, though. Um, right. And, <laughs> and like we talked about earlier, it's whatever is valid if you can find quality in it. You know, is it um, is it original? Is it innovative? Is it honest? You know, it can be whatever genre and, and a super smart guy, you know, musicologist from Berkeley is like, oh, that's that's crap. It doesn't make any difference if that's based on opinion. Opinion doesn't right. matter. Who cares? And it's uh, it's like I love uh, bartending. Oh, we got to stop again. But so another band that you sort of got me into um, was Ween. <laughs> All right. The Bugnish. So that um, piss up a rope, uh, <laughs> Japanese cowboy. Those those country songs are so funny and They're so awesome. Uh, awesome. Great songs though, too. Like, <laughs> yep. There's a uh, one of my favorite comments. Uh, somebody, I, somebody asking, well, what what the hell style of music is Ween? What is Ween? And the the reply was, Ween is white soul. <laughs> <laughs> and whether that's true or not, it's entertaining and hilarious. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, those guys took a big page out of Zappa's book as well, as far as just ridiculous humor, um, like piss up a rope or the fact that they, um, the fact that they recorded a country album called what is it, twelve golden country greats, and there's thirteen songs on there <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Um, and another little point of trivia about that album is they they hired a whole bunch of like old school, super traditional session men, guys that were playing the slide guitar parts and the fiddle parts and just these killer studio musicians that had from down south the the good old boys and they had no idea what they were recording a whole <laughs> lot of them were real pissed off oh I'm when sure. that album came out you know <laughs> but that's it's like an andy kaufman joke you know like that oh, yeah. that brought it home even more um i can remember my roommate bringing in college bringing that cd home and all of us just in stitches on the that's floor great. do you know anything about wheeler walker jr no oh turn man. me on so he's he's that country album but times a million obviously there's been plenty of country kind of comedy musicians. Yeah, sure sure but this so he he does the fuck you bitch <laughs> you broke my heart i think i'm familiar yeah yeah okay took the dog all this stuff right so that's kind of his cleanest song that's mm. like most mainstream yeah um and then he's got you know i want to fuck your whole family tree and like <laughs> redneck shit just all, the whole album yeah. is it's really really funny but it's Super like you said top. it's old school nashville like session men that have been doing it for years he's this comedian who's lived or he's not a comedian he's wheeler walker jr he wears sunglasses and a black cowboy hat and gotcha his whole shtick is like um like country music went pop and they, they went soft i'm bringing it you know i'm bringing it back to the real country you yeah. know that outlaw country that kind of thing sure. but it's all just jokes and it's it's really good stuff uh gotcha don't it, play it around the kids no not <laughs> but, appropriate uh, huh it's, it's good stuff yeah I'd pretty much leave the ween off the um off the playlist with the kids even bananas and blow um, that song is that's a fantastic <laughs> album or fantastic song love love that song to pieces um white pepper um, chocolate and cheese that era was huge for us so i don't I don't know if enough about it is each album like a completely different genre or how does that No, work? that the country thing was its own thing a lot of a lot of ween is just ween you know um rock and roll there's definitely comedy mixed in but me I, I think music first and those guys are all great musicians so they could tear it up um Similar however they wanted was yeah earlier um yep for sure and uh ween I, th I feel like when they did the country thing, they saw an opportunity to do something funny and also make some good songs, you know, and um, spread out. Like they, uh, they actually did. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but they they did a jingle for um, Pizza Hut. Really? Talk about selling out, but selling yeah. out on your own terms in a, in a funny way to to put the, spin the whole thing uh, on its ear. Is they were asked to write a song for a a pizza hut commercial. I want to say it was about a specific, you know, goofy, whatever. Um, no, this one's stuffed with cheese here and it comes topped with one, something, whatever. And they, they composed, uh, where'd the motherfucking cheese go at? <laughs> and, uh, pizza, hut, I think initially refused to pay them. <laughs> and somehow I think there's some, some sort of lawsuit and I think it was settled out of court, but that, you know, that's ween. That's that was awesome. great. Like they're like, yeah, we'll sell it. Here you go. But we, Hey, we wrote a ween song. Right. And had had Pizza Hut done their research and their homework, they would have known that they asked Ween to write a Ween song, and they did just that. Yeah, you know, there was this guy that I worked with um, on the landscaping job in the summer, like in high school. I was kind of the youngest kid. He was in college, and there was a bunch of college kids that I was working with. And this guy was like kind of a weirdo. I liked him a lot, but um, 
kind of the goofy guy really into video games and tv shows and stuff like that but he was like his favorite band was ween so yeah. he was just that guy yeah <laughs> it's just really funny um yeah they've got a pretty long celebrated history i'm fortunate enough to see to see uh have seen quite a few ween shows um I, we talked about red rocks i saw ween at red rocks with um the flaming lips oh man which was a big a pretty great day um Ween and Fish have been friends over the years. They used to share bills in the early days or at least be around the same circuit and such. Cool. But um, but a lot of Ween fans and even uh, Dean Ween, the Deaner, whom I, whom I like, um, has dogged the fan base a little bit. I mean, the, the Fish fan base is an easy target for sure. Yeah. Um, they, get, they get hit pretty good. But um, I think there's a lot of mutual respect between fans in the general freak genre. You know, you can call fish a jam van, but they're freaky goofballs, just like all these, you know, flaming lips, ween, um, insane clown posse. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. You know anything about the juggalo stuff? There's, uh, yeah. So I'm, I, I know I just said to have an open mind and all that. There's actually a great documentary called you don't know me, but you hate me. And they take a handful of very like, oh man, um, specific fan bases, I guess you'd say, um, and the jam band scene is one, and I, it might even be fish fan specific. I can't remember, but the uh, ICP crew uh, and the folks that dig them are definitely in it. Yeah. It's like three or four um, specific fan bases, and uh, it's it it takes a look at all that sort of thing. Like and I I understand it, you know. That's um, I don't necessarily agree with it because I think too much of of all of it relies on stereotypes, you know, which is pretty much a trap to fall into. Very but. stereotypical, yeah. Um. But I also don't support the uh, Juggalo movement. Yeah, it feels racial for some reason. I don't know why, but it does. They do this thing where they, I forget what it's called, like the crescendo of Fago or something, where they got like Fagos, 30 Fago yeah. bottles and like launch them into the crowd. It's so weird. <laughs> like shake them up and shoot them off the stage at people. Yeah, I think those guys were even at the Aggie Theater in Fort Collins at some point because I was driving by a long, long time ago and saw all those kids with their face painted out front and they achieved what they were after because it flipped me out. I was like, what the hell's going on in my little it's town? Like kiss or something, but I could not yeah. paint my face. No, no, it would take a lot uh, to paint the face. Yeah. I always said that, like, it would take so much for me to go protest something. Like, it would take so much for me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to leave the house, to put on face paint, to go to the show. I mean, I guess if you're going to the show, same thing with the EDM thing. Like, you're going to put glitter on or you're going to. Right gonna dread your hair out for the fish concert or you just you just show up you know <laughs> right so my the first interview we did uh my good friend alec witty he um is an edm kind of guy okay um but he's not the stereotypical guy not into drugs just love the music love that kind sure. of stuff great right? him and his girlfriend he was saying kind of like you know we would go to shows and at first you kind of feel uncomfortable or whatever but after a while you go oh these guys all love the music i talked to the guy next to me about the music and we kind of sit in the back but we're all we're all here for the same thing so just kind of interesting that you can be part of the subgenre, but you don't have to fit all the stereotypes sure i um i love people watching at shows and i love seeing people what watching is the best. what kind of people turn out for what kind of shows um just the other night uh, that was the second time I'd seen the gizzard. Um, but the first time was in a small cramped indoor venue. And then this time was huge sold out outdoor venue. And I got a huge kick out of thinking about, and then seeing what kind of, you know, what kind of folks would show up because 
that's the kind of band where people who show up are there because they love music and they love seeing boundaries pushed and they love seeing like art created in real time. And there was, you know, pretty, like I said earlier, a metal, a metal element. So like I saw a handful of like traditional punks, you know, leather clad, spiked mohawks, combat boots, that kind of thing, which I got a kick out of. Saw definitely the hippie, hippie vibe that's there for like, wow, this band is, you know, psychedelic prog, what's going to happen tonight sort of um, or, uh, fans. I saw a bunch of older dudes in sweatshirts and jeans and gym shoes that are just like, had probably loved live music their whole lives. And this is a very interesting thing in live music right now, you know? Right. That's kind of how I see a lot of Colorado is maybe just because you're my view of Colorado but it, <laughs> it is that sort of Ooh. forever young uh, kind of fit. I don't know. Colorado just has that. It's different. I know it's a mean. different kind of place. Um, and I think we're, we're proud of that for sure. I definitely had the go West young man thing in mind when I moved, you know, um, again, my brother kind of blazed that trail. I blazed it for myself and a handful of real close friends. Um, but it really was that mystery of like, I bet there's something cool out there. If I mean, if nothing else, there's, there's those mountains, right? Exactly. Right. And I think love skiing, all that. Kind oh of stuff. yeah. And there's just something soul satisfying about it in general. Um, and it's changed. I feel like my, I lovingly and endearingly say, I felt like our town and, and even CSU was like a hick, had a hick vibe. And I liked that. I was looking, I wanted to be a, go be a country boy. That's what I was looking like for. It's kind of like a rancher cow town kind of. But now, boy, this, we might as well name this episode hipster coffee because really <laughs> now that, you know, for instance, the student center in campus was like, you know, there was lots of tans and forest greens and browns and wooden trim and all of that is gone and is now like stainless steel and bright. It's like a Mac store now, you know? Right. It's almost like a Silicon Valley kind of super expensive, super hip. They start referring to it's one of the colleges that I swear starts uh, referring to students as clients, like keep keep the um, keep and the guests, like keep them happy. It's not so much, you know, about not to say there's not a good education to be had and all that sort of thing, but um, a lot more about how, how can we cater to the folks paying the bills versus how can we put the screws to the young student and get them to learn something? Yeah. Um, but it's the crazy people running the asylum kind I, of thing. Yeah, perhaps it is. Um, but I, I do, I take a huge amount of pride in Colorado. Um, I love Colorado dearly. I love our town. Um, we are super active. I mean, it's like beer and bikes and mountains um, and music, you know, music venues, historic music venues. Um, we've now we're like a tourist that we were even bigger a bigger tourist destination for legal weed you know and all of a sudden oh, it was yeah. like those were popping up everywhere and there are some super funny you know experiences of working in old town and seeing um seeing folks that were obviously traveling to fort collins <laughs> to smoke weed that were right. not people you thought it's like grandma looking ladies yeah. you know asking us like where's the where's the good pot store or whatever and yeah um but really, the amount of positivity that pumps out of uh, our town, and I feel like Colorado in general, it, it is something to be proud of. Um, a ton of performing arts, a ton of um, mountain sports, obviously, but just biking. The bike culture alone 
right. is just massive. It gives it more of a like European feel and a smaller town feel. Everyone's yeah. actually in the city alive. It's not just that everybody's in their cars, you know, you can see people on the street. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. Um, There's that awesome bike bar, biker bar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's got like, it Road looks like 34. an elementary school with like all the bikes in the front of the Yeah, bikers. right. No, that's cool for sure though. And uh, like my kids, that's the, like that kind of town is all they've ever known. So it's, it's cool to see, you know, they're, they'll ride their bikes wherever they can. And then think of, of bikes as pr primary transportation. And, yeah. um, they even have like in school, um, every year in gym, there's like a week where they do all this like bike education and stuff. And they go out on a big mountain bike ride and the whole class, you know, will it's ride, very, very cool. um, learn all about the bikes and they'll fix the bikes and they'll give bikes to the kids that don't have bikes for the week and that sort of thing. Um, that it's very cool for sure. We're, we're real. We feel really good to, to live where we live. So following the fitness thing, when did you get into running? It's funny. I hated it forever until like late thirties, even mid, mid to late thirties. Like I kind of feel like it might be a patience thing in the beginning. It's sort of like, what is the point to this? You know, yeah. Um, everything hurts. Yeah. And, and it's a lot easier to stay in shape without doing that sort of thing when you're younger <laughs> and even playing other sports when it came time to be like, all right, now we're going to run. It's like, Oh God, you know? Um, but then there hits a point or there did for me where it became the perfect opportunity to think. Um, and you know, I've heard it said a number of times that you know, like exercise isn't really about like trying to lose weight or maintain, um, weight or anything like that. It's about make, making you happy, releasing endorphins and make you feel good about yourself. Of course. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like it hit all of a sudden hit me. It's like, wow, this is an excuse to listen to music first of all, yeah. which is the best and process my day, my week, my month, my life, whatever, my family, my job, um, and has the greatest byproduct ever of staying in shape. And then I kind of laughed at myself like, dude, why did you wait so long to do this? You know, and I, um, I've run only run a couple marathons. I don't know if I'll do it again. Wow. I didn't know um, that. That's incredible. Thank you. But, and, and it was like an accident. Um, I just started running. You're on your daily jog and then you just saw a bunch of people running. It was, no, that, <laughs> just got swept up that would, it. that would have been even better. Um, it, it wasn't like the Forrest Gump thing, although, <laughs> yeah, although right. it sort of was in that I was just running more consistently. I was run <laughs> if I was going somewhere, I was running. Um, I would just go out running and all this, like after weeks and then months, I was just running further and further and further. And I got it in my head that I was going to train for a half marathon, which seemed like this huge thing, right? Um, 13. Yeah. So had instead of uh 26 to 13 one. So I was just sort of running, training, running, and I sort of accidentally ran 13 miles just one day. And then all of a sudden the luster and excitement and, and, uh, inspiration to run a half right. was gone because you did it exactly. And right. it, cause I, I didn't get a whole lot out of this whole idea of like, Oh, race day and the t-shirt and the gun and the, and all that. <laughs> it was more like, I just want to do have done this. Yeah. So, um, then it became like, well, I guess the logical move is to keep training and double do it. it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, less than 1% of humans have run a marathon. That's insane. Um, so I was kind of like, and my best friend had run one when we were younger and I was kind of like, all right, I'm going to do this. Um, and then I, I always looked at it. Like I described a minute ago as like this perfect opportunity to zone out, listen to music, work through life's challenges and stay in shape. So I just kept doing that. And I followed a plan. And before I knew it, it was like, okay, they, it's something like if you can comfortably run, 
three quarters of the total distance you have to run, even some people say even half of the distance you you were going to run on race day, that you're ready because the rest of it will come through for you, adrenaline and, and the training that you've already been through. Um, I think much of it is being with all the other people. I, that I hate. I don't, I, yeah, no, I, and I don't even run in town because of it any more like 80% of the time I run is trail running, which is just awesome. Um, that's like your knees, right? kind of, yes. And kind of the hippie in me of like, you've your foot touching the ground. Like you just oh, yeah. have a connection. Um, I don't hate people. I just, when I go running, I would rather be like, if it, if, if it were up to me completely, I would just be completely alone, zoned out, close my eyes and not trip over something more like a cross country kind of. Absolutely. Um, and the, I was fortunate to run the two marathons I ran were both kind of like off the beaten path. There's certainly people there were big marathons, but I ran the Colorado, which, um, starts up in a Canyon that's beloved to me in general. And you run down the Canyon and then you hit the highway and then you finish the second half in town. But a full chunk of it is in, coming out of a beautiful mountain Canyon yeah, with a raging river on one side and mountains on right next to you. Um, and actually that it was a real cool experience because people come from all over the world to run that marathon and riding the bus up that morning was dumping snow. First of all, we ran in a blizzard dumping snow and it had been a wet season. So the, the river was raging and this is a Canyon that I had been camping in for my, the whole time that I'd ever lived in Colorado. My brother took me there and whatnot. And, and I hear all these accents and, and some other languages even, and people are all fired up. It's race day. And I had this super cool moment, point of pride of like home turf or like home field, home right. court. Of course. And I'm like, man, this is, this is my home. Right. This is my home. And all these people wanted to come here to yep. do this. It's so cool. Yeah. You know, and it actually helped me chill a little bit, you know, and, and enjoy the race. And I, what I found for both of, of my race marathon experiences was bliss. It didn't after that, like I tend to hurt a little bit around from like mile one to four or five. And then by like five or six, all of a sudden everything is juiced up and warm. So that, and I, I always hear about the runner's high or like the endorphins and it's, stuff. That's a real thing for sure. Um, and I feel like that comes around mile 12 or 13 maybe. <laughs> that's a long way to get there. <laughs> and then the wall supposedly you hit is like 19. And people have a hard time getting right through that 19 to 20. Fortunately, I didn't feel like I ever hit that. Um I was pretty nervous, so I trained pretty hard. It's like studying for a test that you're really nervous for. You're right, like, all right, screw it. it. I am going to study. Yeah. That's how I felt about training. It'd be brutal not to finish. Yeah, or walk. My biggest thing is right. I don't care how – I didn't care about my time. I told myself that anyway. I didn't care about my time, but I would not walk. Like It didn't seem to me like that's running a marathon. I'm shuffling my feet. I'm doing anything but walking. I'm not walking. <laughs> and I never I never had to even come close to that, so I, wow. I felt good about that. Um, and – I think that I had, I had asked my doctor at one point, like, should I do this anymore? And he's like, yeah, it's probably not really doing you any good to run that far. Right. You're doing too much. Half marathon, sort of the sweet spot. Right. You got your goal of the fitness and you've accomplished something yeah. big, but, uh, too much. You're going to, you know, but I've been thinking about it again recently, actually. So I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll what about see. like a tough mutter or something like Iron Man? Yeah, man. There was a time where we decided, because I'd had this similar conversation with two good friends. One of my best friends in the world is an adventure guide all over the world. Incredible guy. Super knowledgeable and in great shape. Missing toes? Is that correct? It, that he's missing toes? Uh, that would Maybe be, it's a different friend who m- must be. Froze in the wilderness or something. Um, I don't know. I don't I'm 
Carry on. Anyway, he um he probably has frozen some toes, but I think he still has all. Didn't of them. you have two friends that like got caught on the back of the mountain and it got dark and they had to like sleep outside at night and like survived off like, oh, one yeah. cliff bar or something? The one cliff bar part I don't remember, but I definitely yeah, like have a bag, had, bag plastic bag. They were like freezing, or, like melting the snow and a drink out of. Yeah, for sure. That would have been Mike. Um, that's the guy I'm talking about for sure. He's made it through some pretty hairy situations for sure. And even in scenarios Man, where he's guiding, you should, he's, <laughs> he's a great dude. He was at the King Get show with me, but anyway, he brought up the idea. Cause I was sort of going through this, like, what should we do now that we've done marathons? Like, I don't want to hurt myself, but I'd like to yeah. do something like that. And he brought up the rim to rim of the Grand Canyon is something people do. And they actually even do rim to rim to rim. So you go out and back and and back again because it's easier to exit um, from that particular rim. You have to know when you can do it. They, there's no organized races at the Grand Canyon because it's it's illegal. You can't do it. You can you can do your own. Right. You could run the trail, but you can't. Yes. And it's like a um, it's like a fast hike. There are parts of it where you run. But it's like a shuffle almost down and up. There's very little of it that's on the flat Don't ground. Don't use like burrows and stuff out there? Like certainly can, but they're like crazy runners. That's the thing. The rim to rim is like a it's a thing. And I, that my ears perked up at that when he was telling me about it. Call it a rim job. Oh, oh man. man, I didn't know it was I'm that not kind, good with the buttons. <laughs> I didn't know it was that kind of a uh, podcast. Like if it was gonna be this kind of party. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I know earlier when uh, Liam was in Europe, kind of like, oh, I don't know. yeah, that was the the uh, PG version. Yeah, um, now we can get serious. But <laughs> <laughs> apparently, from so I started doing research because I was uh, intrigued and frightened. Um, and everywhere I went, the guys said that it was significantly more difficult than a marathon because of the wear and tear and the all of it. Um, and then I learned that it's far more realistic to do the rim to rim to rim which was significantly longer. The whole thing still wasn't even as far as a marathon, but the terrain was a lot gnarlier. Um, and then we had some injuries. I had an injury going on and Bob, my buddy, Bob Laurie was going to do it with us and he had a little something going Shout on. Shut up. Yep. And we, uh, we let it go and, and always said that we would try to return to it as an idea, which could still happen. Um, very much like when I go skiing now I'm old enough that I t like when I'm running and skiing, whatever, I look at other people doing it and I'm like, that guy looks pretty old. Like I want to be able to do this stuff for a right. long time. Yeah. Um, your North star. Yeah, man. And you're like, Hey, if that guy's doing it, you know, I can, I'm, I'm good. So I don't right. rule that, that crazy rim to rim thing out yet. You know, I could see doing that. Plus it'd just be such a fun trip going out to the Grand Canyon. I mean, just the whole thing is, it's an adventure in itself, you know? Yeah. It's a little pricey and logistics are tough. You got to do it a certain time of year. You start at a certain time. You got to have like a lot of people have people drive their vehicle somewhere that you're going to end up there. There's a couple places like right on site you can stay. I remember the thing that cracked me up when my buddy Mike was telling me about it. And I'm picturing like, oh my God, the training and carrying your gear and having just what you need. And he made like casually mentioned about like getting an ice cream cone. And I was like, what? But sure enough, like you come the main trail that people do, you, you're just beating yourself up life experience, just unbelievable adventure. You come down and, and you're shooting across the, the short amount of flat um, ground. And there's a little like general store, ice cream shop, soda fountain kind of place. I thought he was like making fun of me and lying for a while. I was like, no, sure <laughs> shit. You can stop. Actually, what he says, an ice cream sandwich. You can grab yourself an ice cream sandwich. And I'm like, oh, I'm in. Let's do this. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> Plus, you know you're going to be thinking about that ice cream sandwich the oh, whole yeah. time. Your mouth is just that, like, 
it better be the best goddamn ice cream sandwich you have ever. So a little different, but I just listened to this book on Alexander the Great. It was written in like 1840 or something like that. Awesome. Anyways, um, but so Darius was Alexander's great nemesis. He was the emperor of the Persian army, right? All this stuff. Okay. For six years, he was chasing him in the desert trying to find Darius. He had captured his mother and wife and all this stuff. So finally, his army closed in. Uh, they, they got Darius and um, his own men had kidnapped him and then... As they were fleeing, they stabbed him. They're like, screw you, right? So he's dying in his chariot, and Alexander's men find him. And the first thing that he says is like, I need water, I need water. And then this guy goes on and describes about the thirst of the battlefield and how all these guys, you know, they're like rallying in pain and how mm -hmm. the river would just be like filled with bodies of people just like drinking, trying to like quench their thirst. Um, but anyways, the guy ends up dying. Alexander walks in, and he's he was like furious that he couldn't like – basically talk to him but just the way that this guy from 1840 like described the thirst on the battlefield yeah was, was really yeah. interesting that's good i when i was a kid i read a book called um the search for delicious and it was <laughs> this all this town this like foodie town um probably had some hipster coffee drinkers in it um but there was like a kid's book right so it was a pretty basic idea it was like what's the most delicious food what's the thing right and they had all these people foodies talking about oh it's you know, a, um, a hot cup of um, cocoa on a snowy day. It's or it's a um, it, no. Then the mom would chime in. It's like, oh, it's a lasagna with a glass of red wine after a work day or all this. And by the end of the this short story, that the town hit a drought, and um, <laughs> in the very last page is like they they finally get water again, and and the kid gets the drip of water on his tongue and says, "I finally found right. the definition of delicious." Of course. You know? Whatever quenches your thirst. That's right. Whatever you needed, right? And then in the moment. So like somehow the pleasure, the greatest pleasure is the relief of pain kind of thing. Like when you got to take the leak at the ballpark and then you make <laughs> through the line. And, yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's so hard to like why you're going through, even like the marathon, right? You're going through that pain and it's so crazy. And then afterwards it's done and then it's instantly over. And then you're just standing yeah. there and you're just like, that was four hours ago, you know, yeah. whatever. It's just, yep. Oh, I was sub four buddy. But anyway, um, yeah, the first one I did, I drove, I didn't want to ask you earlier. My, I didn't um, want to get three forty four hey, and then right. I think three forty two. Um, yeah, the first one I won a place even in my division, but anyway, my family came out to support me. Um, but we were in two cars and they came out, um, like to see me finish. We were in, I ran the Boulder marathon for that one. And, and so I had an hour drive home. Um, which was awesome because I finished, we hung out, you know, I, the high fived and stuck around to see the times and all that. And then was alone for an hour to think about it, you know, and it was just cool. And my, you know, it was like yeah. almost a little nervous, like driving, like my legs going to give out on me, like driving home. Um, but I was like just the coolest reflective time. And I remember almost kind of having that like postpartum feeling of like, Whoa, this has been going on for a while. I've right. been working towards this for a while and now it's over. And, but I very quickly was like, oh, wait, now it's over. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right, right. Now, now I've done it. Um, and, and yeah. you know, I think like a lot of people, it came into my mind. I'm like, all right, well, what's next? It doesn't mean now you got to go climb a mountain or run a rim to rim, but you're certainly searching for that accomplishment again, you know? Yeah, it's whatever makes humans human is like that drive to do something yeah. different or better or bigger or whatever. Yeah, what's the reason? That sounds cliche, but what's the reason for all of this? Like, why do I need to go to work and pay bills just to... 
I don't know, is it for love? Is it for laughter? Is it for whatever? And I think right. when you have those moments of accomplishment, it's almost like reassuring that all the other crap is <laughs> right. worth it. Exactly. Exactly. Right? You know, no, and totally I, right. I still think that way, you know, and then sometimes they're little things, dude, your dad's cooking over the past couple of days. I'm like, that's some reason to live right there. It's <laughs> like eating great food, you know, Oh yeah, oh, that, yeah. that's getting to spend time with guys like you, you know, this, this, those are important things, you know, because it's, Otherwise, it is the grind. It's got that name for a reason, you know. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I think the reason to live is to have awesome, great conversations with guys like you, <laughs> ladies Thanks. and gentlemen. That's it. That was uh, Uncle Matt Longton. <laughs>